All right, my next guest on Airwave is Oliver, an incredible music producer who's known for his legendary packs on Splice. So we talk about how he constructs those packs, how he does production for famous pop music artists, his journey from hip hop to now his electronic sound of today. We talk about virtual festivals, about essential features missing from DAWs like Ableton Live and Pro Tools. We get into a little bit of music theory and we talk about workflow, staying motivated and much more. You're gonna like this one. This is Airwave with Morgan Page. Airwave is brought to you by RME Audio Solutions. Innovative, user-friendly, and high-quality digital audio solutions, RME offers a comprehensive range of audio interfaces, converters, and mic preamps, all based around its unique and innovative core technologies. Multi-platform connectivity across Windows and Mac OS and iOS class compliance has earned RME a global reputation for providing support to all users on all platforms. Visit rme-usa.com to learn more. Okay, so uh, get me started a little bit with your background, like how you got into doing this professionally. Take me from, you know, 12-year-old Vaughn to... From, to from day now. one? Yeah. Um, I think when I first got interested in music, I think... I think I was probably like 14 or something like that. And I, I lived in a really small town in Canada and kind of my only access to really to music was through watching like music videos. Right. So I think it was much music, which is the Canadian version of MTV. And I was, I saw these like hip hop videos and I was just instantly like, what, what is this stuff? You know, it just really caught my attention. Um, and then from there, I just, I think it was like a DJ premiere record. That was the first thing that sparked. Um, I think it was like Harris one or something and he was scratching on it. And I had no idea what that sound was or what was making that sound. And I think I asked my mom, I'm like, do you know what that sound is on this song? She's like, Oh, I think that's, they're like scratching vinyl. And I was like, what's vinyl? Like I didn't know anything, <laughs> you know? And from there, you know, I, I went and bought a, a turntable from a pawn shop for, you know, $15 or whatever and tried to figure it out from there, you know, and I had, it was, it was, took a long time because there was, there wasn't resources like there is now, right? There wasn't YouTube and all that stuff. So I think I had a belt drive turntable and uh, like a Walkman plugged in and I would record uh, these like rap videos off of the TV and try to like scratch over top of them with like thrift store records and stuff, you know, and, and the techniques just, 1200s were, you know, I didn't even know what those were. Like, I didn't right. know anything about the culture or, or any of that. You know, it took me years to figure that out because there just really wasn't access. You know, I was in a small town. Internet wasn't anything compared to what it is now, right? So it was, it was more um, just watching music videos and stuff like that. And then when I got a chance to come to Vancouver for the first time, there was actually stores that sold records and turntables. And that was kind of like, oh, okay, this is like a whole thing, you know? What was the town that you grew up in in Canada? Uh, Penticton, British Columbia. So it was maybe like 20, 25,000 people, something like that. Yeah. So, and I didn't have anyone else to talk to about it either. There wasn't, I didn't know anybody else in town that was interested in it. Right. So yeah, it took a lot of work just to figure out the basics, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if you, if you grew up in the, was it suburban or was it more rural part of town? Um, bit of both i mean it's yeah it's i mean it's just a small town you know there's like not much going on at all and there's there's mountains on either side and then there's two lakes on the other two sides so it's kind of like almost like an island you know um 
but yeah, there just really wasn't any access to to any of that kind of stuff. So it took a really long time to figure it out, you know, which maybe was a good thing. I don't know. Did you get, was radio influencing it or mainly, mainly those music videos and, and mostly? Uh, mostly music videos because there was no radio really. There was like local, you know, top 40 or, or rock oldies radio. You know, there wasn't any like cool radio station where I was from, you know? So it was pretty much the music videos that was, and then, you know, I would figure out, oh, there's, a, you know, the magazines too would actually help too, right? Because there was, um, I would get the magazines in the back, you could order mixtapes. So I was like, whoa, there's these like real like hip hop mixtapes from New York. And I, I would order those and they would take like six months to come to me. So when I got them, they were just like, I cherished them so much, you know? And I really, any CD or anything I got would take at least three or four months to get. So when I did get it, I would listen to it on repeat just over and over and over and over. You know, so it was a different, different time, <laughs> you know? So you got yeah. deep into the hip hop world and... Yeah, so hip hop was, yeah, the first thing that I really fell in love with. And then from there, it just kind of evolved from, you know, discovering that, hey, a lot of these records that you like are actually sampled from these older records. And then I started getting into the funk and soul and that kind of stuff. And then I think you know, I started getting more into dance music when I think Daft Punk was the first thing that really I was like, I really connected with, I think. And I was like, okay, well, they're kind of just sampling the records, the same records I like, but they're sampling the more up-tempo songs on those same records. So it kind of had this hip-hop attitude that I really, I guess, gravitated towards. Um, yeah, and then from there, it was just the whole musical world kind of opened up, you know? And then, you know, all these house records that I really loved were obviously sampled from disco records and older house records. And, and that's kind of how that world just opened up to me, you know? Did you ever think as a kid, this would be a viable career making music full time? Absolutely not. I mean, the craziest thing about it is I always wonder like what my parents thought when I was first getting into it. Cause there was no DJ culture. DJs weren't on stages in front of thousands of people. That wasn't really right. a thing back then. Right. Maybe in Europe, that was maybe a thing, but, and, uh, yeah, for them to just be like, yeah, it's, do whatever you want. Like they actually encouraged me, you know, which was crazy. So. And did you start getting a little basement studio together in your parents' basement kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Of course. Had the basement studio. What was the setup? Uh, the setup? Uh, well, I eventually got to 1200s and that good mixer. And I remember that being just like, oh my God, you know, because I had this crappy belt drive. And then when I got the 1200, it was just like, okay, now I can fly on this thing, you know? And I was heavily into like more of the technical side of, of hip hop DJing. So like scratching and doing doubles and beat juggling and, and that kind of stuff. Like that I spent all day, every day doing that, you know, which is crazy. But yeah, the basement setup was, was pretty good. It was like, I had my Nintendo, my Super Nintendo or my PlayStation or whatever, a couch, had posters all around and there was like a ping pong table and stuff. And I would just, I would hang out there by myself most of the time, you know, I was an only child. So I spent most of my time down there, you know, I'm kind of glad being an only child. I feel like that was able to focus the time and the resources. And I don't know what I'd be doing as an only child as well. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't be doing music. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Right. Yeah. I, I, never, I never thought about it like that, but it definitely like, it teaches you to just like entertain yourself and like be totally happy by yourself and 
especially if you're not in the city. Yeah. Know. And I mean, like, especially, you know, this whole, the COVID thing that's happening right, right now, it's just like, for me, I'm just like, okay, it's another, you know, yeah, like, okay, I don't get to go to bars and socialize. Like I don't really do that anyways, you know, I probably should do it more than I do, but I, I don't know. It's just, it's been a whole life of kind of, yeah, just like working on my craft and I just find it really fulfilling. Like, I don't know. I remember growing up and I grew up like kind of in the country in Vermont and the idea of getting 1200s was totally impossible because the yeah. cost is still insane. You know, they stopped making them obviously, but it was, what mm-hmm. was it, 500, 600 bucks and yep. barely yep. getting used if you were lucky to find them used. Uh, and that was just the standard. And yeah, I remember like if you tried to borrow any, any of these knockoffs or anything else was you're just breaking your parents' turntables and destroying the needle. It's just a different, <laughs> yeah. different breed of turntable. Oh yeah. There's no comparing it. Right. Yeah. And I even mean, the cost you, you, to, to get started too, like NPC oh, 2000 or a SP 1200, yeah. like all these things were like these impossible. The price was the gatekeeper with a lot of the gear. It really was a gatekeeper, right? It's like if you, you were that young and you were able to get a pair of 1200s, you either had rich parents or you really, really, really wanted to do it. You know? So I really wanted to do it. I remember saving up, like I worked a job at McDonald's and I saved up all summer. And I was like, by the end of the summer, I'm going to have enough money to get a setup, like two twelves in a good mixer, you know? And man, you really like appreciate it when you have to, when you work a whole summer at a fast food restaurant. Yeah. Just a There's a certain level of appreciation rather than when something's handed to you, right? And it's that kind of goes with anything, I guess, right? Yeah. Did you start to put together? Uh, I mean, software probably wasn't as powerful enough back then. Yeah. I mean, I think we're similar ages, but were you? What was the first venture into the production side beyond the, the production event? side? Was was probably I was probably in my early twenties actually, and it was probably Fruity Loops. I think was the first thing. Early F. When it was Fruity Loops. Yeah. I mean, even before that, it might have been like, there was like a, I think there was a game for PlayStation that was like a music maker game. So that might have been actually the first, the first thing where I was like, oh, okay. I kind of see how this works. Like the sequencing thing, right? Like you make a loop and then you can, like you could do, you know, really basic stuff on it, but it was enough for me to be like, oh, this is really fun. And I actually spent hours on that thing trying to make music and I had no idea what I was doing. It's kind of gamifying but, the music process. Yeah, yeah. It was cool though. I mean, hey, it got me interested in it, you know? And then Fruity Loops, of course, was like, you know, I had a I had a shitty PC and like Fruity Loops, you could just, there was tons of cracks of it. You could just get it for free. So I got that and from there, just tried to figure it out and was trying to make like, you know, DJ Premier, like Dilla style beats on Fruity Loops, which was really difficult, you know? And I remember my friend was like, you know, you should try adding swing. And I was like, I was like, what's swing? And he's like, explained what swing was. And I was like, whoa, like my mind was just blown. I was like, oh, that's what I was missing. And like, what's, I don't even know the term for that little double kick right before. And if it's swung, cause I never. Oh yeah. I call that just like a ghost kick or like, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the actual name is, but. That's huge, actually. Yeah, the super swung kind of muted kick in between the the real kicks, you know? Yeah, I remember it, it seemed like I, I tried to copy hip-hop tracks with an MPC, and it was mm-hmm. nice because you had that swing on there, and that was a good core studio setup. I had like a, like a Nord lead and an MPC yeah. for years. and But it was, it was interesting because you were missing, at least when I was trying to make that style to emulate hip-hop, it was 
you're missing tape saturation, all these little treatments they're doing that give it that, yeah. that feel. And I still don't even know what they're using, but I know a lot of the guys here yeah, were pushing tape hard, like real tape. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was very difficult to do. I mean, the style that I wanted to do with like Fruity Loops was, was pretty difficult, but I ended up kind of figuring it out just by sampling records and stuff and using drums off records and stuff like that and chopping them up. I could kind of get close, but I didn't know anything about any of that stuff, you know? You could import the tape feel a little bit with it. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, just sampling drums off other hip-hop records and, you know, and obviously sampling from vinyl and stuff like that helped quite a bit. But but yeah, that was the first... I, I actually never had a hardware sampler, unfortunately. Um, I really wish I did, though, because one of my friends had one and it was just like... I had so much fun on it, just even just chopping up a sample and being able to replay it, I was like, oh my God, this is so fun. And I feel like there's uh, this yeah, natural yeah. compression in there too. Like there's something in the oh, absolutely. There's some that little bit of grit where you're like, yeah, it just sounds different even versus the DAW. I kind of, I kind of miss some. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, well, any, I think a lot of those old sample machines really just have a, a sound, right? Cause they're all, everything's getting ran through the same converters and the same, you know, the same software or hardware or whatever it is. So it does have a more cohesive sound, you know. And there's definitely how, how that, it's easier to have a record sound like a record, you know. Right. Like your drums don't sound mismatched from your baseline and your sample. Like it kind of does something to glue them together. It just sounds more, yeah, musical, I guess. Yeah. And so you were in FL for a while, and then eventually yeah. you transitioned to Pro Tools, and yeah. So I went to um, engineering school for a year, and that's when I learned. In in that school, I learned. Uh, the standards, which were at that time was Pro Tools, Logic, and um, Reason was the big one for making beats. So I knew all those. And for some reason, Pro Tools was the one that I was like, I like this one the best. Like, it's simple to use. It sounds good. Um, so I kind of, and then from there, I just stuck to Pro Tools for years, many years. Yeah, I remember uh, the early days when it was Recycle, using Recycle for loops. And it was, yeah. you'd have to have a zip drive. And the only way to get the loops all in time was, was using Recycle and you'd chop it up, you know, the yeah. equivalent of simpler. Yeah. These days. But uh, everything was just so much harder and you really... Yeah, really, really, really difficult. Yeah, really difficult. I remember Logic being painful to use. Like, I was just like, I can't, I hate this program. Like, I remember there was just pop-up windows for every single little thing that you wanted to do, any nuanced kind of thing you wanted to do. I just remember being like, this is terrible so pro tools to me i was like i was like i get it everything's in one window i can see everything there's no sub menus and like for me that was just like it made sense you know i can just drag audio in and kind of mess with it and i think even yeah. early autotune was like audio suite style like you had to render it out it wasn't even real time yeah the first yeah. few versions of yeah. it it's just so crazy yeah uh, we've come a, come a very long way since then yeah and so sure. recently very very long way are you using both? I know last time we met up, were you using both Pro Tools and Ableton or, or mostly Ableton these days? Mostly Ableton. Um, I still use Pro Tools for vocal stuff, like tracking vocals, um, comping vocals, whatever. Um, I still haven't really mastered that in Ableton. It just seems kind of like way harder to do. Yeah. I feel <laughs> like know? it's coming. It's got to be coming. It's they coming. They, they really need to do something about it because it's Ableton's so good in so many ways but those simple things like that they really need to address those kind of things you know 
it, it is funny what updates they'll skip. Like they, what they decide is uh, nice to have versus essential, and then they'll they'll put stuff in the updates. You're like, why is this a a burn? Oh yeah, game? every time I every time I like. I get the, oh, the new beta versions tested. Here's what we fixed. And it's like, we fixed like Chinese emojis in the delay <laughs> sub menu of the whatever. And it's just like, cool, man. Can I do batch fades now, please? Yeah, batch fades and can you fix the pitch automation? You know? Can I do like strip silence? Can I do like, I, I don't know. There's just like a million things I would, small things that I think would really improve it, you know? Apparently the playlisting thing might not happen for a while huh. because of the way it's, it was originally programmed. It's harder to do than I, I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Seems like it'd be an easy thing to add, but. And so, how did you end up in LA? What was the the journey like getting oh, to the, the journey to LA? Of- so, uh, so I lived in Vancouver. Um, so I moved to Vancouver when I was probably nineteen or something. I think it was nineteen, eighteen or nineteen. Um, lived there for many years, and I was my DJ career was kind of taking off more. So I was by the end, I was DJing, you know, four or five times a a week. So I was just like a club DJ for many years. And, uh, and then I started getting more into kind of remixing and I was doing kind of these DJ kind of bootleg records. And I think it was Atlantic records was kind of interested in what I was doing. And they flew me down to LA for the first time and like put me up in a hotel and all that. And I got a few days in a in a studio, and Ollie, uh, Oliver Goldstein, who's the other member of Oliver, he was set up to be kind of just help me in the studio and to be kind of a collaborator and like a session guy, you know? And we just like immediately hit it off and became really good friends. And from there, I just kept making regular trips down to LA to work with him because it was so fun. At first, it was, you know, every... Every five months, I would come down here, and then it became more frequent. Where I was like coming every month, and then I was just like, I have to just be here. Like this is so much fun, you know. And that's kind of how that happened. That was back in 2011, so I've been here for a while now. Wow. Yeah, and that was so your your own productions, pop productions, doing a variety of work already at that point. Uh, no, I mean, it, for, for me, it was, it was fully just the Oliver project was the thing that I wanted to work on. And that's, you know, I got a pub deal based on that, based on my relationship with Ollie and kind of the music we were putting out. And, uh, that was it. Yeah. I, did, I wasn't at that point, didn't, didn't care to produce for other people or it was just all about putting out my own stuff, you know? And, uh, yeah. And so as it evolves, uh, I mean, you guys, there's, there's no duo anymore still. Yeah, is that yeah. still in no, no plans for that to reunite? No, yeah. We'll we'll see, man. I mean, as, as of now that it's, it's just me, but things could change in the future, but. And what um, was it? I, I said, I said online, it was professional differences. Is it creative or professional or kind of creative? Uh, Creative. I mean, we didn't really have many creative differences. We're usually like kind of on board for each other and we just have the same kind of taste in music and stuff. So yeah, it was more just professional stuff and it just wasn't working out. And yeah, I just decided, I was like, I just want to do this by myself, you know? Do you feel like it's easier to just steer your own ship and, you know, have management take care of the um, business stuff? Yeah, it was actually like kind of a blessing in disguise, you know, because we had we had a lot of big things kind of lined up. Like we had, you know, we were on Interscope. We had 
we had a management team, we had the booking agents and, and all the stuff that comes with that. And it was just like, it was kind of too much for me, I guess, too. And, and a lot of those people like our A&R at Interscope moved to a different label. Oh. The, are the people that were managing us on our, our, they, they moved to a different company and it was just kind of like, okay, everyone's moving on kind of. And like, I don't know. It just seemed like a good time to just be like, okay, let's try something different here and let's, let's do our own thing. You know? It seems like uh, with artist projects, it can be exhausting because you have to wear three times as many hats. I mean, yeah, maybe more, maybe five times more. You're expected to be able to sell tickets, to move streaming numbers, to have a brand, to compelling visuals with the brand. It's just so many boxes you have to check. Yeah. And uh, I mean, basically one of the big reasons why I, I just kind of wanted to do my separate thing was I was just not getting any help. Like I was literally doing like 99% of the stuff. Like I was the guy like coming up with the design ideas and like responding to the emails and finishing the music and like doing a heavy load of the work, you know? Um, And Ollie, Ollie's just this creative force though. And that's why I always loved working with him is, you know, we're good friends and he was also just an incredible musician he's like like he's one of those people you just have to work with to really understand the level that he's on and uh yeah that was also part of why going solo was tough because i i felt like i felt self-conscious i guess i didn't have the confidence the self-confidence you know i was like can i do this on my own like i kind of need ollie he's like so you know right you don't want to work in a guy that that always scares me too in studio where it's like yeah you, you trust your gut but you still need an editor and someone to yeah 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 off. yeah and and i found that just collaborating with other people in general is just kind of the best thing that i can do because i tend to be pretty hard on myself when i'm left to my own devices and kind of overthink things i t- tend to do that so i found over the last couple of years just collaborating with people has just been like the best thing ever you know and is ollie doing his own his own project now or or doing- uh no i mean he's he's been kind of He's always been producing records for people, so he's still he's still uh, doing pop records cool. right now. I'm really curious. About uh, he just process. he just did the new Katy Perry one that just came out. Wow! So he's he's doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'm so curious how these do. how these projects come about. Like when he's uh, are are you pitched? Is it management or your publisher that's saying, "Let's get you to do some instrumentals. We'll shop into vocalists." Or how does this whole process work? Um, for that, it's um. Josh Abraham is kind of the overseer of that that whole project and he's just you know he's super connected and he works really closely with Ollie so and they just have a really good track record so I think that kind of stuff just comes to them you know or I mean even with, your, with, hard, with your productions especially oh with my productions yeah. Yeah, yeah I don't know man I just like I don't really try that hard to like, like I just kind of I just try to work with people that I like and and hopefully leave a good impression and, and things kind of just organically happen. I know it's kind of corny to say that, but I don't know. Are you, I don't, I don't are, like, I find, I find like the shopping tracks thing, like that just like never, almost never works. But it, I will say it does work if you have people that you've already, uh, you have like a personal relationship with. So like if there's artists like that I've worked with or released records with already, and I send them tracks, then they'll actually do something with it and it might come out, you know? 
But then there's also those things that like, you know, your publisher will send you, oh, like Shakira is looking for like edgy, whatever tracks, like those like track, what are those called? Those like, you've probably seen those before, those track sheets where it's just like a list of artists and kind of the style that they're looking for. Yeah. Like I've never had any luck doing that kind of stuff, like chasing those kind of things. Or like writing camps or that's a whole other thing. I I mean, writing camps can be pretty effective and you can at the very least meet some some really good people to work with, I think. So I think those are kind of worth doing, but yeah. And that whole scene is kind of new to me too. Just like the, the writing kind of session scene, you know, it's just like a different thing. Right. And are you, Um, are people sending you top lines to produce around or is it, what's a typical process? Not so much, not so much. It's mostly just getting in the room with people and trying to like write something from scratch or, yeah, I've been getting in with other producers too, and it's been really fun, man. I feel like it's a much cleaner process of in terms of getting credit, doing the splits too. Where yeah, if it's, if it's uh, a song with this backlog of writers and it's gone through three sets of producer duos, and yeah, you're left with like five percent writing share at, <laughs> at the end. Yeah, it's just like yeah, it's not worth doing a lot of the time unless it's like some huge record, I guess. But I've definitely been a part of things like that too, where it's like I was one of the 80 people involved yeah. in, a, in a song. And it's just like, the songs are never good, like ever, you know? It, it it's always like, oh, we need a song for some, it's some movie thing, right? Right. And it like features, they want all these features and then they want like, you know, 15 different producers. Cause like, oh, it's going to have trap drums on this part. And then it's got to go to this, like whatever break. Uh, it's just too much, man. You, that many people involved, it's just like never, never comes out good, yeah. man. You know, I always thought it'd be a fun uh, proof of concept and sort of a joke if you had a different producer doing every eight bars of a song and you have like, oh, how yeah. many people can you fit in the Chiron on the, on the display of the dashboard in the car, you know? Yeah, just, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just break it, right? It could work. If you did it, yeah. you did like five, five or six artists, you know, and then, yeah. and then it reaches that many people on their, uh, their Spotify streams, you know? Well, I've done this, this, I mean, kind of related, but I've done this experiment in the studio where, uh, I had a session and it was two other producers. And what we did was we we had, I think, 20, like 30 minutes, something like that to make something. So we all had headphones on and we would spend 30 minutes on a track and then pass it to the next guy like clockwise. Like, okay, now you spend 30 minutes on the thing that I started and it would do a full rotation. Then you have, three, at the end, you have like three tracks that have three different producers. So it was kind of fun. And is that build, building off the previous work or they're doing it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like they would send you, maybe it was just a loop idea that they started and there was no drums and then you would do the drums or, you know, fun little exercise, you know? Have you had a chance to work with these like Max Martin types? And I mean, I guess you've, you've done some stuff with like uh, with Dr. Luke's projects. Yeah, yeah. What's, I haven't worked with like? Max. Uh, I've worked with Luke quite a bit. Um, it's been great, man. It's been a real eye opener, you know? Um, does he have a certain process of working that have you been able to absorb some lessons from him i think so yeah i think there's a lot that i've learned from he says he's learned a shit ton from me too where i'm just like what what are you talking about but i mean i guess that's a, a good like professional relationship when you're both kind of feeding off each other and um yeah i've learned i learned a ton from him man for sure i mean there's stuff that you just that he does where i'm like i could never do that you know like he's one of these guys that can just 
immediately writes things that are catchy, like almost every time, you know? Usually with guitar. It's usually his guitar playing where huh. you'll, you'll do a chord change or something. You'll play something on the piano and then he'll kind of interpret it and just make it more catchy. And you're like, how did you, you know? In terms of like things progressions like or, or leads? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, mostly leads, I guess. I don't know. He's just got a real, he's got a magic touch with that kind of stuff. So I so know, what is it, Max Martin? He's obsessed with symmetry of the syllables and then like the... <laughs> just the shape of the song form. Yeah. So yeah. He's a, he's a genius for sure. I'd love to like work with him or just watch him work, you know? I feel like they, yeah, could build, I mean, they could, they could write down all of their secrets and it wouldn't affect their careers. Yeah. Like, like I wish they would just do that for, for the music world in general. It'd be so yeah. Nice. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I noticed about Luke right away was it's funny, like people will, these really successful producers, people will kind of go into their work and, oh, what are they using for this and that? And like, oh, I wonder what he used on the guitar for this or that. And like, he really doesn't spend any time on that kind of stuff. Like, it's like if he tracks a guitar or something, it's, hey, pull up a compressor and maybe a little saturation or something to give it more presence or, you know what I mean? There's not, there's not a lot. It's more like, let's go quick. Right. I'm inspired. Let's, let's lay this down quick, you know? Um, and then I guess later you can spend more time on the sounds, but generally it's just like not overthinking that stuff, you know? And, and for vocals too, it's just like, okay, we get have this preset on the compressor. Let's just use that on every track. And, you know, yeah. yeah um, I think it's so, so there's not a lot of down. time spent on that. And then obviously he has, you know, Serban to like mix his stuff. So he always does a, a really good job, but. Yeah, I think if you're like the, the typical modern producer of if you're doing stuff in the DAW, you tend to obsess over what yeah what compressors are they using, what reverbs, and then yeah, and it's like putting the horse before the cart. Like it's really more the composition and the yeah yeah. And I'm actually noticing that a lot too, and that and that and that's stuff that I was really obsessed with too when I was learning to produce. Was you know okay? I like this record. What did they use for that? What 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 is that bass sound? Focusing on the sound rather than okay, what makes it good? Is it the groove of it? Is it like, okay, well, what, you know, that synth sounds cool, but maybe it sounds cool because the chords are cool. And that's usually what it is. It's playing a good riff or the chords are really beautiful or whatever it is. So I find like, you know, I've been doing this Twitch stream thing too. And I get a lot of questions like that. Like, what did you use for the, the chords on that one thing? And it's like, well, I don't know what it was. It was probably silent or massive or something, you know, like something pretty basic, you know, but I would, I would spend my time looking back. I would have spent more time on, on the musical side of, you know, just playing keyboards or learning guitar or learning bass, learning an instrument really, I think is like so, so important, man. It really takes your, your game to the next level. If you can learn an instrument. Yeah. I always love that with, with progressions and leads, like learning about cadences and being like, well, why, yeah, why does it work? Is it that there's tension in the last chord that makes you want it to loop? Or, you know, like I only really yeah. thought about the past couple of years now where it's like, well, a lot of stuff like Dead Mouse was doing where he'd do this, he would just expand the chord voicings in a way, use less chords, but this make them diminished or augmented or something like that. Yeah. Without, without necessarily thinking about theory, but. Yeah, it was interesting to look back and to be like, "Well, it's working because he started it. He didn't start it on the one. 
or yeah. you know, it, it had this tension. But there's always this tension or this call and response. That stuff really, really works. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I'm always learning new stuff about just like music theory and, and stuff like that. I, I consider myself still like an amateur at that stuff. So it's it's fun to just like unlock new things. And like, even if it's something simple, like learning, oh, this like, this dominant chord leads into this minor chord and it works every time. Like I can, oh, I can modulate that and use that anywhere, like on any progression, like learning all these kind of like little tricks and unlocks. It really just helps your, it helps your creativity. Like you don't want music theory to be this thing that kind of stifles your creativity where you have these rules set in place where I can't, okay, well I can't really go there because musically that's kind of a weird thing to do, but it can help you when you have run into problems basically. You're like, oh, I have this chord progression, but like it just doesn't resolve nicely. Like being able to be like, oh well I know five or six different things that can help this resolve and loop about like that kind of stuff is really important to know. Yeah. You know? Oh that's what and that's what Joel was talking about, Dead Mouse, where you're saying if something resolves too easily, you you're throwing all that tension away kind of. So if Yeah, it, that's interesting. Yeah. So it has to pull back into itself. I don't know if it's a circle of fifths. Yeah, the tension and release, I think, is really, really important. On I, I think on electronic music, especially, maybe I don't know. Not maybe not so much in pop music, but I think generally it's it's pretty important, right? Like even just like sus chords that, you know, holding a sus chord and then you land on the the major or whatever it is, you know, like that kind of stuff really helps. I don't know. Are you using circle of fifths or anything like that with the, the with writing composition? Um, I, I I still like I'll I'll try to learn that stuff and then I kind of like immediately like forget it, you know. Right. Right. So I have this really bad habit of just like I just kind of learned like two keys. So like when I learned how to play keyboard, I was just like, oh, the black keys kind of sound good together, <laughs> and then from there it was just like. I would just transpose everything. So I'd be like, okay, well, I like this song. Let's figure out what chords they're playing. And I would transpose it to my key and learn it in my key. And then after a while, I figured out, oh, most of the stuff I like is like the same chords. There's like, you know, it's pretty rare that there's, like, it's always these, like, you know, I love like major sevenths and stuff like that. And I just realized, oh, wow, it's a lot of the same stuff. And if I can learn that, then I could probably make some stuff that I like. You know, I can make some chord progressions that I like, you know. I have one of those uh, circle fifth wheels where you, you spin it and it shows all the relative keys. Yeah. I've always been thinking, like, someone's got to make a plug-in. I was telling the mixed and keys guys about it. Yeah. Like, you got to make it so you can drop your samples in and be like, okay, my toms are my minor, my relative minors, or like mm. drop them into each little chunk of that. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It'd be so cool. I, I, no one's done that yet. That's crazy. Well, I, I, I'm, I always say that, like, I think a lot of that stuff should be integrated into DAWs. Into the DAW, right yeah. Like, why is it not part of, why do I need to open a third party thing to figure out what key this thing is in? Like, that's They're very ridiculous. unmusical. Even Ableton is like, very. That seems like, and that's, that technology has been out for, for quite a long time, right? Like the mixed and key kind of technology where it analyzes a song and gives an approximation of what the key is and the tempo, right? It's like, why is that built into a DAW? That'd be so, so useful. It'd be yeah. incredible, right? And even chord cadences are yeah. only in Cubase, I think. Maybe so, yeah. yeah, in terms of native integration. But it's, it's weird how unmusical they are. Yeah, and, and I, I just can't wait till that more of that new technology is kind of integrated into the actual DAWs, right? Because there's 
there's so much stuff. Um, I mean, there's, you know, like Studio One has this thing where uh, Melodyne's built in, right? Right. So you can actually, you could take your MIDI, say you have a chord progression, right? And you can fly it up into this one kind of window and it makes it so the whole song follows that chord progression, I guess. So when you drag audio in, it just immediately warps, like polyphonically. Like you could drag a guitar loop from Splice or something and throw it in and it'll polyphonically pitch shift it into the key of your song. And it sounds kind of wonky and like kind of messed up, but it's really cool. And like, there's so much stuff like that where you're like, why isn't that integrated into just everything? And like, or even Ableton, like, why can I transpose my entire song at one exactly. time? Like, why yeah. isn't there universal transpose? Like, it's I can a change lot of it. steps to change all that MIDI to transpose. It's great. Yeah, but it's like, it's all there, right? Like yeah. the, all the audio you can transpose instantly, right? And the MIDI is instant too. So why can't there just be one knob where it can just change all you that? You do tempo, why can't you do key? Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It seems insane that they didn't include that, right? So there's a lot of, yeah, it's just, it's weird that we still have to use all these third-party things to do stuff like that. But I think that stuff will start to get integrated. And I guess it's not that simple too, right? A, a lot of these companies own copyrights on this technology so it's it's probably deeper than i think it is to, to really get that stuff into like DOS, sub-licensing but. the technology out yeah right um so. yeah it seems like i gotta i gotta try the new melodyne the new upgrade where i like it it separates like the the s's and whatever it has what does it do chord it does what you're talking about like adapting the chords the samples to the chord progressions and you can yeah. see it actually has co- real chord detection wait wait th- is there's a new version is it like yeah. version four or something uh five so five. five just came out, huh? Yeah. Wow, I haven't even looked into that. Supposed to be a big upgrade. But, uh, yeah. For me, Melodyne, like, I know some p- people use it a ton for stuff, but I pretty much only use it for vocal stuff when I'm like, okay, this vocal is pretty bad. It's like the last resort for me where I'm like... It really affects the quality. Uh, I gotta I use, yeah, I got to use Melodyne to fix this vocal, you know? Um, it, you know, it does an incredible job at that, but... It's just still kind of a pain in the ass because you have to print it. And, yeah, I still know. just like, I'm, I'm lazy. I just throw auto-tune on and set it to like retune at 20. And I'm like, ah, sounds fine. And just automate it if I got a hard tune stuff. But Yeah, yeah. And so I would do that in Pro Tools too, right? Like, okay, well, it's, I got auto-tune on pretty light. This note's still a little salty. And then I would just highlight that one note and audio sweet pitch it like a little bit. So tell me about... Uh, Putting these packs together. I mean, I, I, I think oh, yeah. I use your packs every day. Like, oh, wow, I thanks. Pack. I use those, I always use those disco loops for some reason just to get, create some structure to the rhythm, just to get things going and have a vibe. But yeah, yeah. A lot of people, I, I think a lot of people use them like that too, right? Where it's just like an immediate kind of, you have an idea, you want to get something down quick, and you're like, okay, well, I don't want to spend, you know, half an hour on the drums, you know, and then they'll just throw something in and then, by the end, sometimes it just stays in because they're like, oh, it sounds good, so we'll leave it. You know, and that's that's kind of what they're for. I wanted to really, I wanted them to be loops that I would use in my own production. So I, I think having that mentality going in, making them and, and being like, I want to use these later too. It wouldn't be funny to make you know, a pack of things you don't want to use. Like what's the, yeah, what's yeah. the point of that? Yeah, but I feel I, I do feel like there's there's a lot of producers have that thing where they don't want to share their like, Oh, these are my like golden like samples that I don't want to. You know what I mean? Like right. maybe that's less of a thing now, but I do feel like 
that it used to kind of be like that. Like you would have your sounds and be like, I'm not sharing these. Like, this is my, you know, this is my sound. I need to like hold on to it for dear life. So, um, but yeah, the, the creative process was kind of like, I think the first one was a lot easier than the second one, just because I had like years and years and years of collecting sounds and making, you know, a, a lot of the loops in the first one, um, a lot of the drums and stuff were just stuff from sessions that, you know, it might've been a demo that I made that never came out, but I spent, you know, three days on the drums or something, you know? So I just, I would just tighten them up and, and bounce out a couple loops. So. Yeah, I think I, I love the care that you take with these samples. I mean, it, it's pretty clear that you spend a lot of time treating them. Maybe talk a little yeah. bit like some of the treatments you do just to you're fattening things up. You're hunching up the transients a little bit. What kind of, what goes through the process? Um, I mean, as far as drums, um, that kind of changes all the time, but like uh, the first pack was made in Pro Tools and the second pack was made in Ableton. So it was a little bit different and it was kind of cool, just the transition. But um, I think the first pack, like the drum stuff, I just use, I use a lot of parallel compression in Pro Tools. So generally like my go-to thing for drums was I would have a drum bus, right? So all my drums are going through one bus. And then I would just double that bus and put like a super insane compressor setting, like just like really punchy, snappy compression. And then I would double that and have one with like OTT or something that was just all release. So just all the room sound, all the noise. Yeah. And then the balance between those, right? Like just like, okay, I'm adding a little more punch, a little more release. And then finally we go through one last bus where I would just kind of EQ it and tighten it up, you know? And then, yeah, I use a ton of like, transient shapers and stuff like that too you doing mainly software no uh outboard yeah none of none of that stuff well there might have been some synth stuff that was maybe outboard but like that's all that's all in the box processing for sure um and then in ableton like it was just so fun because now i can make these audio racks and stuff you know and like it, it's just opened up a whole new world for sound design stuff for me personally because you can create these insane audio racks and then just save them. It's like in Pro Tools, it was like, cool, I have this crazy chain of effects. And like, it's in that session. And once that session's closed, like I can't get it back unless I, you know. So just workflow stuff, I think, has really opened a whole new world of, of sound design, really in Ableton. Um, and are you playing uh, the guitars live? Are those are the, are the session players? Or are those at you? Uh, the, the guitars, I don't play guitars. So I have my good friend Ryland, um, who's got a, a studio behind me. Uh, he played a bunch on the first one and then Izzy Fontaine, uh, played a bunch of the guitars on the second one. And he's really incredible too. So I, I'm lucky enough to know people that can play and stuff. I know many, you know, good bass players, good guitar players. So I'm, I'm really lucky. Yeah. And the synths are, are mainly, uh, you were saying mainly soft synths, but because I yeah. can't even tell with some of them, I can't tell if they're real, if they're soft. I and mean, that's kind of the idea probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, there's definitely some some hardware stuff in there, but even the yeah the soft sense now are just it's all how you treat them. You know, if you treat them like analog hardware, they'll, they'll sound more like analog hardware. You know, how do you like just treat them? What are some I mean, a lot of it too is like 
The thing that I really like about analog is just when you have maybe a MIDI pattern going, right? So you have, say you have a baseline, a MIDI baseline, whatever. And then you just track it. You track like, you know, six, seven minutes of that bass going while you're tweaking the synth. And like, you get all these things like these magical little happy accidents, right? Like if you track something for whatever, five, six minutes and you're tweaking and like, there's going to be some weird shit that happens in there that is like, you can't replicate it. Like right. it's just some weird fluky thing. Loop. And you're like, that's what I wait for when I'm like, oh, what was that? Like it made this sound. I don't even know what the hell that is. It sounds cool though. And that's kind of how I treat a lot of um, VSTs and software synths is I'll just track them, right? So I'll just map a few parameters. It could even be massive or something. Like I'll map uh, like the reverb size or like the portamento or something like that. Like a couple weird things in the filter, maybe a detune and just record it. Same thing, record it for like five, six minutes while, while I'm making these subtle tweaks. And then you get these little... I don't know, these little loops that just kind of have more personality. Yeah. And I feel like, and you showed me a trick too, in terms of adding a little bit of randomness to the feel of when you're playing a, a keyboard or Wurlitzer or whatever, especially something yeah. with some transient on it, where you showed me, it was almost like a, a strum. Kind of oh, like yeah. Strumming something just slightly so not all the notes are hitting at once. Oh, that's, yeah, that's like super important. And I didn't really pay attention to that before. Um, but yeah, I think any kind of like, if you want something to sound more realistic and more organic, like you cannot hard quantize it. Like it's just, and that doesn't mean it can't be really in the pocket and super in time. It's just like, if, you, if you're playing a Rhodes and all the notes are like hitting, triggering at the exact same time, like it just sounds static. It doesn't sound, I mean, sometimes you want that maybe if you're like, Maybe there's certain styles of dance music where you want a really hard, stabby sounding, repetitive thing. But for more organic sounding stuff, you have to like, and there's ways to get around that. Even if you don't play well, you can take MIDI and there's, um, there was a plugin, like a Max for Live thing I got the other day that does the strum. Like it does the, Ooh. you know, I think it was called Mylon or something like that. You check that out. Um, and there's ways to get around it. Like even even in the, you can quantize uh, in Ableton. You, there's a setting for random and you can kind of just push that up to like 30% and it just spaces the notes out a little bit. And then velocity too, right? Like if you're playing a piano and you're hitting the notes and they're all hitting at the same velocity every time, that's not very expressive. Like that just doesn't sound human, right? It's like those basics are, I love the tips and techniques where you don't have to buy more gear you can you can take what you already have and make your old synth sound totally amazing and fresh. Or even yeah. in, even in Omnisphere, it's like if you really learn that in and out, you can you don't have to just be digging for pre, tons of different obscure presets. You could take your existing one and arpeggiate it differently. Or yeah, man, I think like I always loved Omnisphere. Like I was a big fan of the first one, and like obviously when two came out, I was like blown away. But that thing just keeps getting better and better. I'm just like if honestly, if I had to pick one instrument it would be omnisphere because it's just like it encompasses so much right and when you even it like and sometimes i'll just program sounds on it because it's so easy like they have all these amazing like kind of samples and stuff right so if you could just start with a basic patch and then go to samples and there's like all these choir sounds and like just all, all this incredible stuff um but yeah i've been really getting into that man it's just man once you start layering it too it's just 
it's so genius that plugin it's insane like even for synth sounds too like it just has everything like it has Jupiter 8 waveforms and stuff like you can yeah, the hardware sense sounds so do I don't even use my hardware sense now it like sounds I, so good yeah like I have a, a Dave, some of Dave Smith stuff like an OB6 which is great but I have to retune it uh, even though it's you know it's, it's digital yeah. and analog you gotta you gotta really yeah. make sure it's not out of tune unless that's the sound you want yeah but the hardware equivalents sound just as good <laughs> uh, um, I, I'm and to me. They, they are like there was there was a time when you could argue there was an argument analog versus that there's no like there's no argument anymore if you don't think it sounds incredible now like you're just not paying attention or you you're listening to the wrong stuff i guess yeah i mean or like those uh the taurus bass lines too like do you really want to yeah. buy a, a, a moog foot pedal <laughs> that's like whatever i don't think they even make anymore it's you know yeah. four thousand dollars or just get the patch and it sounds incredible yeah and i mean there's listen there's no right or wrong way to like make music like you can use whatever you want you know but you can definitely there's at this point you can make software sound incredibly analog sounding you know it's just even like there's one that i use that's like a, a moog emulator it's called the legend i don't know if you know that one. Oh yeah um it's pretty and it's really light and it's just sounds so f- insane like the sound is so good it's like a mini moog but polyphonic super basic right um, but for a lot of synth sounds, that's all you need is those. So it's kind of like that and Omnisphere and a couple other things. I'm pretty good, you know, and then just all the other incredible things that are coming up just for processing sounds and degrading sounds too. It, it, that's been my new thing, right? Um, my favorite, sorry, I missed that. I'm uh, sorry, your favorite treatments with synths. Oh, treatments with synths. Um, I don't know. I'm always experimenting with new stuff, but um, lately I've just been on that wave of like making stuff sound shittier, (laughs) you know? Like I spent so many years being like honing in and making stuff sound like huge and like, you know, obviously that was more the sound, I guess, at least for electronic music. And like now I'm kind of like dialing it back. I'm like, how do I take these things and make this sound like it was sampled on a record in like 1976? So a lot of that's, you know, the the usual, you know, tape saturation and like RC20 and, you know, just, and like experimenting, like just doing stuff you're not supposed to do, like taking a, a whatever, a saturation thing and putting like 10 of them on, like just yeah. experimenting and doing weird stuff that like trying to break the rules, you know, like if I get a new plugin, like, okay, how, how do I make this thing break? How do I break this thing and get, do something interesting, you know? Yeah, I like that. And it, it, I guess it could be subjective what's bad or because if you're making something bad, it, maybe it's it's more harmonics, but it's it's smaller, but it's maybe it's more harmonics. It's very, depends how you define it, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, I'm just looking for like interesting stuff. I don't know. And like, you know, even like the Valhalla delay, like, I don't know if you use that at all, but like you can do so much with just that delay. Like I figured out, okay, you can turn that into a tape machine. You just turn the mix all the way up, turn up the, there's like a saturation and like wobble, tape wobble and stuff. And you have like a tape, like VHS emulator right there, you know? Have you seen that guy, Blank Forms, he'll like manipulate the cassette tape with his hands. He'll run stuff through a Tascam multi-track, like a four, 
who won or one of the, it's one of those like, you know, like 600 bucks. Used. Yes. But he'll, he'll tug on the tape and he'll like, he'll mess with physically mess with the, the medium before it goes back into while it's, while it's looping around, he'll do tape loops. On gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. That's so cool. I've, <laughs> I've heard some of that stuff. I don't know if it was that guy in particular, but yeah, man, that stuff's so cool. And like, I don't know. It's just interesting. Cause like I said, like I spent all this time, like, how do I make this stuff sound like absolutely pristine and like flawless into like, how do I do the opposite and make this sound like trash, you know? <laughs> and I mean like good trash, you yeah, know, yeah. stuff with characters, stuff with, I don't, I don't know. There's this, and then like, I find the juxtaposition of those two things. Like say you have an intro to a song and it's kind of mono and, you know, kind of distorted or whatever and then it all of a sudden gets like wide and big it's just like that juxtaposition that contrast is really like sounds awesome you know yeah i think a weird thing happened at least on the edm side where everyone was chasing loud and chasing big and everyone immediately began to sound exactly like each other uh still pretty amazing yeah. how loud they could get these records uh you know a lot yeah. of like the hard hardwell stuff things like that where they just it's very, it's just perfect, uses the whole stereo field, but maybe is lacking some soul. Uh, maybe yeah. they spent all their energy on getting that as loud as possible, but not getting the best song. Uh, yeah, 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 I can see that. Yeah, that's when I have maybe a problem with it is when it, that becomes the main focus of the song is like how loud it, like, dude, if I want it loud, I just like turn it up, you know? Right. And that's, I, you know, it took me a while to learn that too. Obviously I was, I was, maybe part of that problem of like pushing stuff way too loud. But I still, I, I still think there's old stuff that I can listen to. I'm like, okay, that's loud, but I didn't like overly squash it. It's not a sausage. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't feel like it's, it was compromised yeah. later and you're like, oh, I wish I could pull it back a little, you know, and then I'll listen to a lot of stuff I referenced too, is just like, you know, like Prince's first solo record. Like you listen to that, the louder you turn it up, the better it sounds. Like it just sounds better and better and better. And it sounds great at low volume, right? So with a lot of those records, it's like the louder you turn them, they're just like your ears just kind of, um, it just blows your ears out, you know? They're just, yeah. it's too much information a little bit, you know? And yeah, turning dynamic, the trims down. <laughs> yeah, dynamics. I feel like dynamics have kind of gotten lost a little bit. Um but I do think like this whole streaming thing has kind of changed changed that a little bit because everything's kind of on an even playing field now. It's like, cool, your song's like insanely loud. You made the loudest song of all time. Well, we're just going to turn it down like a bunch. Congratulations. So it's just going to sound like a squashed <laughs> piece of shit now because, you know, there's no dynamics. So, um, but I, I mean, I guess uh, I don't even know like what the, I honestly don't even know what like mastering, like modern mastering looks like, honestly. I kind of, I used to master my own stuff, but now I'm kind of like, should I still master it like that? Or is there like a different, what should I be referencing? You know, where do you send it now for are you doing, having someone STEM master stuff for you? Or um, it's usually just the artists, whatever, get their stuff mastered by whoever they have, you know? Um, but if it was my own stuff, I would still want to master it for sure. I think like I've gotten uh, the album that we did full circle. I got that mastered professionally and it turned out pretty good, but I'm also like, I could have done that. Like it was like pretty much sounded the same as when I sent it to them, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I tend to just get like insanely obsessive if it's my own productions, you know? Um, 
Whereas with other artists, I'm kind of like, cool, go master it, have fun, you know? Yeah. Um, I feel like you're, you're, you have to hire fresh ears. That's, that's, that's what I'm paying it for. It is really important. I think I just need to make uh, kind of more relationships with other people that I actually trust for that. And, you know, there, obviously there's some incredible engineers out there. I just need to let them do their thing, I guess, you know? It, it is hard though, because I feel like some guys, you could pay a lot of money and they may actually make it worse. Uh, yeah. some guys, yeah. some guys could be a, a revelation for the track and here you're not filling out the spectrum the way you want it or, you know, it's, yeah, there's no like hard, like you could send it to some person who has like an insane reputation and like, it could, you could just be like, I don't like it, you know? Yeah. Like I, I I'm that guy a lot of times, like I'll, I'll do mixes for people and I'll send it back and I'll, they're like, uh, it doesn't sound great. You know, <laughs> I'm just like, okay, well, I don't know. That's what I would do with it. But if. I'm actually finding that out that like a lot of people are like, oh, your mixes are so great or can you mix our stuff? And I'm like, yeah, I can try to mix, but it's still like your sounds and your production. Like I can't, you've made choices in there that I wouldn't have made. So I can't make it sound the way my records sound because I produced them from the ground up. So yeah, it's one of those things, right? When you're like, I wouldn't have used that kick drum. I would have used this other one that sounds way different. So yeah, if the kick is bad, it's going to be tough. <laughs> yeah, I, a lot of, t- I mean, I used to just cheat and just like sub stuff out and take their kick drum and, and like high pass it a little bit and then throw my kick drum underneath and I'd be like, whoa, the kick sounds great. And I'm like, yeah, it's like not your kicking. <laughs> <laughs> Remove the weakest link. There's some tricks. There's some tricks you can do, you know, layering sounds and stuff. Do you, um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about like, uh, this process of so you're you're coming in you're doing the pop productions now that's that's really where you're focused at how are you keeping objective with it all like when you hear a song too many times uh you know we're talking about fresh ears how does that work Uh, like like if you get the goosebumps you're making the songs like that's always my aim my metric is is this chemical emotional reaction and then that it always does it always does yeah that's that's a really difficult that's really interesting because you know, and that, that could be maybe a, a really strong emotional reaction or, or it could just be like you're grooving. Like if I'm actually like kind of bobbing my head and dancing to my own stuff, I'm like, okay, maybe there's something here because I don't dance at all. Like I, right. you know, but that, and then it does, it does fade, right? It could be one day, it could be two days. And then you're kind of like the head nod slowly turns into just your head, just staring at the screen and you're like, you kind of lose the plot sometimes. Right. Right. So I think, just nice. I think, yeah, I think there's ways to deal with that. I think one way is to just step away sometimes a little bit. You know, um, if you've worked on something for a few days in a row or even even one day in a row, just like put it aside for a while. And then like the best thing is when you listen to something that you did in one day or maybe you made a, a start, a track start in an hour or something and you haven't heard it in a week and then you go back and listen, you're like, you're more you're like the listener now you're not the creator as much yeah it has to be like i don't even really remember making this i like it though or oh this i don't like there's nothing really going on with this you know i think to me what what scares me is if you if you come back to something let's say i mean usually you don't have the luxury of six months of incubation with the track but you come back in six months and you go oh i don't know what this needs like i can't hear it fresh that scares the shit out of me uh, if that that's pretty rare, like usually, yeah, you let it you let it rest, you let it incubate, and it's pretty clear. Like throw it out or chase it down and die on that hill and and make yeah, that yeah, yeah. the best record you can. 
Yeah, well, that, I mean, the hardest part about music is there's just no, especially now there's so many options and like things are so flexible and elastic that like you could just keep working on stuff, right? It's like, uh, you start to second guess stuff. Oh, is that the right bass sound? Uh, maybe that snares too. Like you can always, and like, I think there's some saying where it's like music's never finished. You just kind of like, Abandon it. Yeah. yeah, you just like let it go. And, you know, at a certain point, you just have to be like, okay, it's it's done now. Um, but, yeah. you know, and I've, I've worked with artists where they have the opposite thing, where they're like, cool, it's done. And you're just like, what? We haven't even like EQ, like there's no EQ. Like, and wow. then I'm just like, I have anxiety because I'm like, oh, uh, no. And they're just like, cool, it's done. Let's put it out. It sounds good. Like it has the attitude, the, you know, the essence of what they're trying to do is there and that's all that matters. So they're like, cool, let's put it out. Yeah, I feel like if it's collaborative, you can do that. Whereas yeah, for, if it's oh, yourself, sure. it'll, it could mutate forever. It, maybe it's not getting better. It's just getting different sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. That's, that's a real, real thing, you know? And nothing, there's nothing worse than like spending a few days on something and like grinding and being like, oh, this sounds great now. And like adding these parts and treating all the sounds. And then you go and listen to the demo that you made in like a half hour and you're like, oh, that's still better. Oops. <laughs> yeah. You worked backwards. <laughs> but the real power is to like recognize that and be okay with it. Like be okay with, okay, well, I learned something and that was, that was part of the journey, but this is being able to be okay with, okay, that thing I made in 30 minutes just sounds better and being like, cool, that's the thing now. That's yeah, really yeah. diff. That's a really difficult thing to, to stomach, you know? Yeah. You have to kind of uh, be willing to be humbled by that yeah. process. Yeah, of course. And I mean, that's, that's happened countless times to me where I'm like, oh, why does it not sound as good? You know? Yeah. Or it's funny cause I, I'll always be biased towards what's, what's been, I've been making recently versus I'll be biased against the older stuff. And sometimes I'll listen to the older stuff. I'm like, wow, this sounds better and bigger. And like, what did I just, but it's a zigzag, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. You're not just doing this straight shot up. All the time. Yeah. It's really interesting. Right. Cause you're like, man, I've learned so much in the last year and like everything else before this is like trash. And then, then you'll AB it with something that you made, you know, six years ago. And you're like, Oh, that actually sounds really good. And I'm not sure how I did that. You know, so it's interesting, man. It's really confusing, you know, and I think that's what makes music so like a lifelong passion and interest is it just, there's so much mystery and there's so much magic to it that you just can, it's this thing you're chasing and then you could just never catch it because there's no rhyme or reason to it, really. You can learn all these new things about it and like, oh, well, I know how to do this now. So like I've unlocked this thing and it's like, maybe you might know less than you did by learning that right. thing. You right, know, right. and I, that's just what keeps it fun. I think keeps you your think, mind really uh, stimulated. Where do you think it, things are heading right now? I mean, obviously, streaming is dominating. Yeah, uh, more people are in their studios. Are you seeing any trends emerging? Where you know, it, it, there's limited real estate for playlists right now, like limited spaces, and the gatekeepers have just sort of morphed. Are you seeing anything? Anything big on the horizon? Big on the horizon. I do. Th I, I love that the streaming thing is is happening right now. I think that's kind of interesting. And as far as like, yeah, the, the playlist, like I, I don't really deal with any of that stuff, but like, I'm sure that's, it's the same as it was with like radio by now, right? Where it's just like, okay, well, these, these are the gatekeepers. These are the big companies that, you know, can get you your see song the playlist in, in, the, in the new music Friday. And 
that's the same as radio. I mean, radio was always like that, right? Yeah. Um, but the next thing, yeah, I, I don't really know what the next thing is. And I don't know what the next thing is musically or with that kind of stuff, which is kind of weird. Because for the longest time, I would always kind of have at least a hint of what, oh, okay, this could be the next big thing or this or that. But right now, I'm not really unsure, you know? It's like a big question mark. I feel like, yeah, you hear these whispers of things. Like I remember when Avicii was blowing up and Hardwell, like you hear you hear whispers that turn it and these these big stars emerge. And then if it's not Avicii, now it's, now it's Kaigo who takes that role or it's this revolving door of stars that often seems to happen like this archetype. And now, yeah, now it's, yeah, it's not, it's not clear. Like maybe it's just cyclical. Like I feel like there's a lot of, the sound is a little more retro. It's going back to this, at least all the promos I'm getting now are so dark. They're so like a uh, Fisher knockoff kind of stuff. Oh, really? Also, but also very, very nineties influenced. Yeah. But yeah. I'm curious if it's going to change. Like I, I love what you're doing with like the, I need to watch the Twitch broadcast you're doing. I think yeah. I need to subscribe, whatever. Is this a viable way now? I think like, are people going to be able to earn a livable wage from, from streaming? Yeah. Um, yes and no. I, 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 there's not many producers that I will be able to make like a bunch of money streaming. Cause it's just like, it's really just for other producers. Like, you know what I mean? Like I, who else would watch someone like produce music? unless they have this really super entertaining way of making music. Like I'm sure there's some people who can do that. Maybe they make stuff really quick and it's like entertaining and funny or, you know, but like generally like man, music production isn't really that fun to watch. It's fun for other producers. Cause they're like, Oh, that's really interesting. Like, how did you, um, like what's, what EQ did you use on this? Or like, blah, blah, blah. Like that's really interesting for them. But yeah, like when I stream, there's like, you know, there's like the most I've had is when I've gotten rated by like another big streamer, but it's usually around like 80 to 100 people like yeah. at the most, you know? Sorry, I was going to that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. What was it? Like you got rated by Kenny, the Kenny Beats? Yeah, Kenny Beats yeah. rated. And, and he's probably, I, I think probably without a doubt, the biggest kind of producer streamer right now. And it's mostly because, you know, he, he makes beats. Obviously, he's an incredibly talented producer, but... Um, he incorporates all these other things like these beat making contests and there's all these, you know, he always has people in the studio and does FaceTime interviews and he keeps it more entertaining for like, but still I think everyone in there is obviously like a hip hop fan or a producer or trying to make beats or trying to learn it or is a rapper, you know? So I don't think it has a mass appeal really. Like the video game stuff on Twitch is always going to be. Yeah. That's what's interesting, right? (laughs) People want to watch other people play video games, but Music. Yeah, well, it's, it makes sense. I mean, I, I don't know. It kind of does make sense to me. It's a little bit more entertaining to watch, you know? Like watching someone EQ a snare isn't really like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I watch it because I'm like, whoa, I just, I want to see what people are doing, you know? It's, yeah, it's not fast it's, For us, it's fascinating, you know, because it's our craft, but um, yeah. And then it's like, I get excited when there's like a hundred people watching. I'm like, whoa, sick. And then you go and it's like some B-level like Fortnite streamer and he's got like, 4k people watching you're like oh okay but that's not why i do it i'm not trying to be like a professional i i I think one of the main reasons is just it's one of the only ways to really stay connected to people right now right so i'm i'm able to interact with these people in chat and we're all really like-minded and they have good suggestions like i'll be working on something they'll be like try doing uh i would change that note right there and you're like oh you're actually right or like you know 
it's more of the interaction and uh it's also being able to make music while people are watching you and you don't even know what you're going to do and like there's something that's like a muscle that you have to exercise and like that's the same muscle that you use when you're in a session with someone like a writer comes in a person you've never met before and you're expected to like make a song and you're like cool you maybe talk for a half hour and then you try to make something right and uh we're not really able to do that right now so this is kind of like filling in that void i think where it's you gotta exercise that muscle like if you let that atrophy yeah. that scares me like that's why I'm, yeah. i do my weekly dj streams like i want to get nervous in front of an audience regularly yes yes that's you know? that's part of it right you want that uncertainty that kind of like maybe a little bit of fear like okay well this i could fall flat on my face here but yeah that's that's the whole fun man you know like i could definitely see that with djs like and performers like it must be just awful not being able to do that but at least at least twitch is i mean yeah you'll probably get some nerves dude if you get if you're djing and then all of a sudden there's like ten thousand people watching your stream or something like you're gonna be like okay well i'm djing at a festival now like this is like legit a festival because there's ten thousand people watching it's the same thing you know? and i think and that is Definitely an exciting part of it that it can scale. Like I'm, I'm curious to see yeah. how the Tomorrowland virtual festival is going to go. Where, you know, they're charging twenty bucks, twenty five bucks a ticket for a, a rendered DJ world rendered Interesting. version. Interesting. I'm sure it's going to do. That'll probably do amazing. I bet. I hope it does well because I think these will they'll dovetail. It's not like do you stream or not stream. Like I think my guess is these companies will will continue to do festival streams and club streams. In addition to the live events, like they just always be, I mean, Ultra always did that in these big festivals. But. Yeah, it's just kind of everyone's has to do it now. So it's it's cool though. I, I kind of like what's happening where people are just streaming everything in school. I don't know. Cause I was, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a nerd. Like I was always, I was always on Twitch anyways. Like I, I game and stuff like that. And, you know, I would always be on there if I was bored or just check out what's going on on Twitch. So I was aware of it and I, you know, followed streamers and stuff so when it kind of when this started happening i was already like cool let's go let's do it you know yeah, just keep um, keep rolling yeah and it, it's great for people that maybe don't have access to you know these big edm festivals or whatever yeah exactly for them to have a more complete experience right because that's really what it's about if these companies are putting more effort into that kind of virtual experience you know so yeah especially good, for the I think money it's a good thing and I think it democratizes it too, in terms of you're not paying $400 for a, a weekend festival. Mm -hmm. Money. It is funny though, how the sets overlap. It's like, you can still miss artists. It's like, ah, how's that even possible? Like the whole idea is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Go yeah, stage yeah. To stage, That's interesting. You know? I didn't think about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're, they're planning set overlaps. and like, this is a rendered world. Like these are, this is pre-scheduled content as far as I know. Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's live. Wow. That's interesting. But yeah. I guess, I mean, it was like that with like the Coachella streams and stuff too, but that's, you know, obviously a live event with however many stages. With they real have. people, not, not rendered crowds. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. That's when, cool is, when is that uh, going on? Uh, I think it's in a couple weeks. Wow. Uh, so that's going to be really interesting. I mean, I know I've talked to companies like the wave that do, they did like a John legend virtual concert. They did, um, the pain where they have an avatar, like you wear a bodysuit. Yeah. And, and it and you see an avatar responding to your movements in a yeah. suit. And it seemed ridiculous before. And now they've hired, they have 65 people working just to do these events. Yeah. Like they're hiring instead of firing their staff. It's so crazy. Uh, well, and you know, 
I don't know if you've tried like Oculus Rift or any of the VR stuff, but like yeah. I tried that years ago and it was, I think it was like, I think it was, um, Holy ship, like the hard fest, uh, cruise thing, the Gary Richards thing. Yeah. And someone was doing a VR thing there and I was just like, Oh my God, this is the future. You know, like I tried it and I was like, it's, it's like you're there. You can look around and look at whatever you want to see. I was like, okay, well this is going to be the next thing. Right. But, it doesn't seem like that's really popped off, but I'm sure I'm sure that's kind of stuff will, you know? Yeah, once the form factor, once they get that right, um, I think it'll it'll change. It was just kind of bulky and hot, and you had to have a two thousand dollar computer. Uh, yeah, to really yeah, have it's, the- yeah. It's once there's like a consumer thing that you know is, is pretty has a good price point. I'm sure that stuff will be more commonplace. But yeah. man, the technology is getting crazy, though. You know. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, it's been such an interesting learning curve, like learning video, learning streaming and OBS yeah. and stuff. Like it's, it's been great, stressful, right? but fun. <laughs> Man, it's, it, it's so funny. Cause you're like, well, I'm an audio engineer. I should really like just this stuff should be no brainer. And it's like, so not no brainer. <laughs> it's so Especially like open source software. I just, I can't believe some of the choices in OBS where you, you update it and it'll break and you got to go to GitHub to get something to, to get it back working again. Like, oh, you yeah. can just, just switching cameras. Doing You have to add a special plugin in OBS just to change between two different cameras. Oh, timer, really? See, I only, see, I only run one camera, but really to, to be able to switch two cameras, you need two. Yeah. You need some, some other software or something? That's I crazy. This, I did this whole thing with my setup where I had multiple Logitech webcams because it, it's just the easiest. You don't need a capture card. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would do a switcher and I had a projector in my studio. So yeah, just yeah. project stuff from uh, Resolume. But now you can pump your visuals directly into, into OBS and you don't need a green screen or any of that stuff. It's pretty Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's been, I, it's been really fun kind of learning that stuff and just even just like customizing my kind of setup and adding some different scenes and like every week or so I'll add something new. You know, I have my friend making like emojis. So like people in chat, I have my own custom emojis. and Nice. All that fun stuff, man. It's been really cool. And like, I think more than anything else, this whole experience of, you know, just the state of the world right now has kind of brought, I'm actually probably more social. I'm like in, in the, just online, like in the social, social media. And obviously like before I was just kind of like, I want my music to do like speak for itself. And I don't really care to like, I like the mystery of music. Like I was always obviously like Daft Punk and like a lot of groups that I loved were just kind of mysterious creatures and you would hear the music and there really wasn't that much else to go on. And I always, that mystique was really intriguing to me and I always kind of wanted to have that. But now I'm like, okay, I'm just going to like open up a little more and just be out there and be more of a personality. And like, you know, uh, someone like Dylan Francis, who I, I toured with, early on he was he was really ahead on that like he jumped on he was insane on like uh twitter and instagram and stuff and he was kind of the i don't know he paved the way for that kind of stuff yeah you it's uh, like you want to hate the social media stuff but but now it's like you can't just shut off the world especially now yeah like and i think i I think i was just like fighting it for the longest time where i'm like i just don't want to like i don't really want to do all that stuff you know and I, I don't know, but now that I'm kind of doing it and I'm opening up more and sharing and stuff, it's like really fun, you know? 
to me, it's like with music, it's always been hard that it's invisible and you can't touch it. You can't see it. And yeah. like, I'm really trying to explore, especially now with video has made me think of like, okay, well I need visuals for the video Yeah, for an hour every night. I was doing it every night doing a stream and then now it's weekly, but it's like, now you have an opportunity where you're forced to visualize your brand and, and figure out yeah. what works with music and what's pacing properly with the, the tempo and yeah in the buildups. And uh, I just think it's, it's such a richer experience when you can figure out the visuals and maybe you need, I don't know, maybe it's worth hiring a creative director. Maybe it's not That's something I've always juggled. Oh, that, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that'll be a thing, right? Like depending on how long this whole thing lasts, like this, I don't know, this could go on for a year from now. Who knows? Right. Lot. But like yeah. that stuff's all going to evolve. Like people are going to be like, Oh, well, that's my Twitch, like creative director that like, yeah. You know, people already have like teams that take care of, take care of the OBS and the streaming stuff. And what are you, are you using Streamlabs or OBS? Yeah, I use Streamlabs and OBS. I, I stream with OBS and then I use Streamlabs for just like the customizable stuff. And nice. I'm still like, the audio has been a really kind of a struggle to figure out how to set it up properly because for what I'm trying to do, I have it working now, but now my stream's in mono and I can't like, oh. un, I can't make it stereo and it's just driving me nuts. Um, I'm sure we could talk about this stuff off stream. Maybe yeah, some, yeah, for sure. Some some ideas for me on how to fix it. But I found just because I'm on a Mac too that there's not really a lot of resources because most people stream on PC. Yeah, it's so you funny. Know? Yeah, and basically what I'm trying to do is I just want to stream. Um, I want to be able to talk through my mic, and I don't want my mic to come through my monitors and feedback and get this weird echo feedback loop. And then when I play, I want the music to come straight out. And I don't want there to be feedback. And I still want to use my monitors because I don't want to wear headphones, right? So like all these things, you think, oh, that'd be kind of easy to accomplish. But it's like, nope. And, and the so process. difficult, man. Like, yeah. And then, okay, well, I have it working now. And now my CPU shot. And I can only run at like, like the lowest buffer rate. And I can literally run like one Omnisphere and then my thing crashes. So I'm yeah. running into all these kind of technical things and, and really trying to figure it out. But you know, what's his name? Uh, Illmind just bought a Mac Mini as his dedicated streaming machine. You can even just buy a cheap PC and have that yeah. be your, your streaming rig that's doing the heavy lifting of encoding. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out now. So I got like an Elgato and I got some other stuff nice. coming in the mail. So I'm ho hopefully can figure this out. But it's just a really specific thing that produ I think producers are trying to do. Where it's like what I'm doing, where I'm, I got the mic, but I don't want the feedback from the speakers. I don't yeah. want to wear headphones. It's it's sounds easy, but yeah, it's it's been like man, it's been a struggle trying to figure it out. I, I um, really that, want to try to do like a this is sort of more exotic streaming idea of having having a body cam or something where you're you're seeing the, a first person perspective of playing the instruments. So if you're not, it's, yeah, it's, it's less interesting with screen sharing. That's different. But like if you're playing guitar and you're looking at the chord, the the frettings and you know the chord voicings you're playing, just a yeah. way to visualize that. So if I walk over to my piano station, yeah, it's like boom, you feel like you're there. Oh, I love that idea. I love really that idea. Cool, right? Like really, yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean, right now I only have one camera, but that'd be really great because sometimes I'll, I'll jump over to, yeah, my key, one of my keyboards and stuff, and then I'm like, oh, well, I have to take the camera and like try to move it and like, right? Yeah, if you I could just like, have something. something. Yeah, I'm sure there's a way to do that, right? You could just have like the Elgato, like the, the GoPro, GoPro or something. Yeah, do GoPro and a stream deck and just do yeah, switch totally. the cams manually. Totally. Awesome, man. Mm -hmm.
All right, man. Well, I definitely want to be uh, respectful of your time, man. I appreciate taking the time. Oh, it was great, man. We have to do it again sometime. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. That was my interview with Oliver. Uh, Amazing interview. Super generous guy. His new pack of samples is out now. Power Tools Volume 3 on Splice.com. So check that out. Uh, Great interview. Lots of information about his favorite plugins, his process to making music, his process to building those incredible Splice packs that I use pretty much every day here in the studio. So huge thanks to Vaughn for joining us, aka Oliver. So I'll see you guys next time. Uh, Make sure to check out mpquicktips.com for free tips and production information. That's my site. Thanks for tuning into Airwave. I'll see you next time, next episode. Airwave is brought to you by RME Audio Solutions. Innovative, user-friendly, and high-quality digital audio solutions, RME offers a comprehensive range of audio interfaces, converters, and mic preamps, all based around its unique and innovative core technologies. Multi-platform connectivity across Windows and Mac OS and iOS class compliance has earned RME a global reputation for providing support to all users on all platforms. Visit rme-usa.com to learn more. Thank you.